Come on, church. How are we feeling today? If you came here a little low on hope, maybe a little frustrated with your current situation, maybe worried about the future, you came to the right place. God's gonna meet you today. God's gonna speak to you today. I think the grace of God is here for you today to grow you, to help you, to strengthen you, to not just make it through, but to overcome. Our Bible says overwhelming victory is ours in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let's pray before we jump into the word. Father God, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in our church. Today we've come to learn, to grow, to mature. We don't just want education, scripture. We want transformation by your spirit. So speak to us through the word of God. We're ready to listen. We'll be quick to obey. And God, we've got to have you. Lord, we pray for the world, all that is going on, the chaos around the globe, maybe even in our own lives, and we turn over control to you. We're going to listen to what you're saying. Follow your voice, the voice of a stranger we do not follow. We do not follow the voice of fear. We do not follow the voice of insecurity. We hear from the good shepherd taking us to green pastures, taking us to God's best. We pray for Israel. We pray for the lives that were lost and the families impacted, those that have been taken hostage. Lord, we thank you. Do something only you can do. We thank you for peace, and we thank you for health. We thank you for victory. God, we need you more than ever. Then help us bring change to our own Jerusalem, our own city right here. So, Lord, I thank you for your word and for your whisper, working together to change us, grow us, and to mature us, to become more like Christ to a world that so needs to see Jesus. Let it be seen in us. Let it be seen in our church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Say hi to your neighbor and grab your seat. I want to start with a question today. Do you have a mission that's bigger than your life? Are you a part of something that isn't just about you? The God who created everything loves you with all that he has. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you just as you are, and by his love, he'll change you into everything you're called to be. But the ways he changes us is getting attached and connected to something that isn't just about us. I think that's the beauty of the church. The beauty of the church isn't that we just have a place to sing and a place to get into the scripture. It's we have a place to step into a movement, a mission that isn't about us. It's for the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom. It's about other people. That's why we say here at Kingdom City, the people are the promised land. And I felt this last few weeks, um, we've taken a little bit of a detour off of where we've been this entire year as we've been preaching through our Bible reading plan. And I've really just stayed in one chapter because I feel like God wanted to realign us as a church into this mission of highest importance to his heart. What matters most to God, this mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost. Truth be told, in the beginning of our church and in and, and many seasons of our church, there was an outpouring of evangelism and engagement with, with people far from God and, and many people that were unbelievers until they, they, they met you. They met our church family. They came into the doors of our church and they found Jesus. They found hope and they found life and they've met with the grace of God and it's changed and transformed them. And I felt a few weeks ago that God just wanted to steer us back onto mission, onto this place of purpose and calling that he has for each and every one of us. And so we've been in Luke 15. If you haven't been here the last couple weeks, you can listen to it online and watch it at your own time. But in Luke 15, Jesus is addressing a kind of an attack or an accusation. 
uh, the, the Pharisees, the, kind of the spiritual elite, uh, the scribes, uh, which kind of the teachers of religious law, were having a go at Jesus because of who he was having lunch with. He was hanging with the, the tax collectors, hanging with, the Bible calls them, notorious sinners, those that were, were known for how far from God they were. And they just like, who does this guy think that he is? That he's eating with those kind of, of people. And Jesus doesn't answer them uh, with a question, but he gives them three stories, these parables. And one by one, week by week, we've been going through them. Each of them has kind of a th same theme. That they've got something that's lost of great value. And someone goes looking for it. And when they find that, when they, when they get what they're going after, there's a celebration. And he's teaching us, I believe, one of the most important principles of the kingdom of God, why Jesus came. He's teaching us as believers 2,000 years later through the same stories, what matters most to the heartbeat of heaven? What does God care about the most? God cares about every spectrum and part of your life. God cares about your marriage, and God cares about your career, and God cares about your health, and God has the ability, because he's omnipotent, and he can, he can do it all, and he's everywhere, to care about all things at once, but if you want to know what's highest priority, Jesus responds with these three stories, the only place we see in the teachings of Jesus where he tells back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back parables. We have the lost sheep that we looked at two weeks ago. This sheep did not want to be lost. It's not like it was a rebellious sheep. It wasn't a sheep that was like vaping in the bathroom. <laughs> he was just probably minding his own business, grazing, and before he knew it, he lost his way. And the shepherd says, hey, I've got 99 that are safe, but I gotta go get that one. We see the heart of the father, we see the heart of the shepherd. Jesus, our shepherd, goes after the one, puts it on his own shoulders and carries it back to the place of safety. We see this is... This is Jesus' heart for the one. Then we see the lost coin. This coin that, man, a coin doesn't know that it's lost. A coin doesn't know that it's valuable. But to the one that was supposed to take care of it, somehow it was dropped and lost along the way. Someone was negligent. It got misplaced. And it didn't lose its value. It just was lost to the owner. And so it tells the story of a woman who sweeps and scours the whole house. She goes, Mrs. Clean. And she goes after this lost coin until she finds it. And when she finds it, she also throws a celebration. With the sheep, we see the heart of Jesus, the good shepherd. I think with the, the lost coin, we see this, the movement of the Holy Spirit that's all over the earth trying to bring this, these sons and daughters of value back to their rightful owner, back to their, their God. And here we hear the last story is about the lost son. It's the one that's most famous, the one that you hear more often than the other two. And, and it's really the heartbeat of the father. Searching for the son that has gone astray. Unlike this sheep, this one was rebellious. This one chose to take matters in his own hand. This one actually disrespected the father and got disconnected from the family. And we see God's perspective. We see God's posture in the people that are far off from him. Though um, I ask you, do you have a mission that's bigger than your life? That we as a church have to always be focused on the one. And today's message isn't necessarily about evangelism. It's about the spirit that we should carry in this house. What I believe God wants to get us back to. We built this church. God built this church. 
But for years, it was one by one, a lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son or daughter coming back home. And God's been so good to us over the years. We've had people of, of spiritual strength and, and stability. We've had disciples that have moved to Kansas City, have joined this family. But I think in the last couple of years, with the world gone so crazy, we've all been focusing a little bit extra on ourselves. And then maybe if we really want to get all that God has for us, we got to get back on mission, back in position, back in the right posture, back with the right perspective of what matters most to God should matter the most to us. And I'm sure you've heard this story before, even if you haven't been in church. It's the story of the, what they call the prodigal son, the son that goes away, the son that disrespects the father, and then this redemption story that happens. But I don't want to speak about the prodigal son. Today, I want to actually speak from the title of the prodigal church. Because that word prodigal, it actually has a different meaning than what you think it means. What we think it means is just a lost, rebellious, negligent son. But it actually, it means something so much different than that. Every one of us, have, who, how many parents do we have in the house? Come on. How many grateful? You got your kids in kingdom kids. You got a breather. <laughs> like, being a parent is one of the greatest gifts, and it's also one of the greatest sacrifices. You wouldn't trade it for anything. It's amazing. But there are moments of, of unbelievable sacrifice and surrender. Uh, and, and there's moments of chaos. Um, and, and how, how many parents here, let's just tell the truth of the church, there was a moment at a shopping mall or, or in a parking lot, maybe even at church, where you lost your kid. Come on, let's tell the truth. Terrifying moment, isn't it? It's a split-second moment. Everything in you seizes up. You just think, oh my gosh, I am going to be arrested for negligence. I've lost my child. Even the helicopter parents out there, the ones that put a leash on your child at Disneyland, like you've had that moment where you've, your kid has wandered off and you, you just lost place, you lost place of them. Do you know your body goes into like, your body goes into this fight or flight mode. Like you get all this adrenaline, you, you like seize up and all of a sudden the most important thing to you is you just gotta see that kid again. And you will do anything and everything you can. Like, your, your, your physical body responds with the right chemicals to get the job done. And I think if we would really get the heartbeat of heaven, the heartbeat of God the Father, that we as the body of Christ, we as the church, if we would know about the lost out there and, and the fact that they belong in our family, we, would, might, we might just have the right reaction and response as a body to put the highest priority on what God puts the highest priority on. Uh, I won't tell you when, but, um, but a week ago, uh, Liz was gone, and I had the kids, and I was in the backyard, and somehow, some way, uh, our three-year-old, Goldie, got out of the house in the front. Liz is hearing this for the first time. By the way, happy, <laughs> happy birthday <laughs> uh, this last week. Um, and, and she wandered around, and she wandered through me. And in my mind, in that moment, I saw her. It was terror-filled, even though I could see her. I just thought, like, how long has she been outside? Where are the other two kids? Can I not do one thing for anyways? But I thought, like, what if she went into the street? On our street, it's a pretty safe street, but there's people that drive a little too quickly for my liking as a father which the Holy Spirit challenged me on the other day because I was driving on the street one over going a little too quickly than I should. But you think about like, what if it went the wrong way? What if there was an accident? How, how, how would I feel? And, and it just, it fires you up to make sure I gotta fix this problem. 
I can't allow this to happen again. And this story that Jesus tells, it really plays out like a play. It's got three parts. It's got the lost son, and then it's got a redemption story. But then also there's a, another lost son. There's not just a younger brother. There's an older brother. And then the story just ends. Jesus doesn't, like, seal it with a bow. It's not necessarily a happily ever after because you don't know how it ends. Does the lost son stay or does he go again? Does the older brother come into the party or does he stay on the outside? And I think Jesus leaves it vague so that we can maybe wrestle with it and see where are we at in this story? What, is, what would our response, what is our desire? What does God desire? In act one of the story, starts in Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus, again, responds to the Pharisees that had, him, had a problem with him having lunch with the sinners. He says, there's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. What he was really saying is, you're as good as dead to me, Dad. I want you out of my life. I want what's mine, and I want to do it my way. Father, give me the share of the estate. And the father, listen, the father does it. The father divides the property between them. He gives them his inheritance early, just like God gives us free will to choose what we want to do with our life. This is not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set out for a distant country. There he squandered his wealth with wild living. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country he was in, and he began to be in lack, began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. It says that this lost son, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Just a little context here, first century Jewish uh, audience, this is the most disgraceful thing a son could ever do. Everything in their world revolved around lineage, and passing it on, and the inheritance was so high priority. Uh, to, to, to go to a foreign country, to wish your dad dead, to, to go and do your own thing, to be hired by a, a, an outsider, a Gentile, to be with pigs, that is as low as you get in this culture. And so he's lost, he's hurting, he's hungry, but he starts to have a turn of heart. Act two of the story says, when he came to his senses. And I wanna say this, deviate from the sermon for a moment. I wanna to speak to those that have a lost son or daughter, a lost brother, a sibling or sister. Maybe it's a lost parent or loved one in your life, one that is far from God. I'm believing in the name of Jesus that in this revival season, they're coming home. They're coming back. They're coming alive to Jesus. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that they can awaken to righteousness. In other words, one day they just wake up and all of a sudden they want what's right and not what's wrong. And you need to pray that prayer over your family. You need to pray that prayer over the lost people around you. He came to his senses and he says, wow, how many of my father's servants, my father's slaves, my father's men, they have food to spare. And here I am starving to death with the pigs. I'm gonna set out and go back to my father. And when I get to him, I'm gonna say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. Make me like one of your slaves. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now you just get this picture of a father pacing in the front driveway. 
when, when my oldest daughter, when she gets to date, uh, she just turned 12 a couple days ago, so about eight, nine years from now. Um, you know, when you come, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be ready and waiting for the, her return. He, he's in anticipation for his son, and when he sees him, even though he's at a distance, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, he kissed him, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but his father didn't want to listen to the rest. He then speaks to the servants. He says, quick, bring the best robe we've got and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Hey, bring the fattened calf out and let's, let, let's kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate for the son of mine. He thought he wanted me dead, but I thought he was dead and gone. No, he's back and alive again. He was lost and now is found. And so they began to celebrate. You almost don't need any more of the sermon, do you? We almost can already capture the heartbeat of heaven for people that are hurting and people that are far from the home, from the house. But we call this parable the prodigal son. But if you read through it, doesn't matter what translation you read, in the original language, it's not there. The word prodigal doesn't exist. That's been added on in later in church history. Be called the prodigal son. Jesus never uses the word prodigal. So it begs the question, what does prodigal mean? Well, prodigal means exceedingly generous and lavishly wasteful. It doesn't mean lost. It doesn't mean rebellious. It's actually, there's a part of it that's good, like exceedingly generous, lavishly wasteful. Now the son, the boy, the lost one, he's definitely wasteful. He's not a good steward. He wasted a season of his life. But I wouldn't call him generous. He was actually the opposite. He was selfish. He just wanted to party. And so he got what he wanted, and he found out that it was empty. Just like many of you discovered in seasons of your life, it felt fun for a while, but then he ended up empty and isolated. And maybe this little kid is like his old man, because the first thing his, man, his dad does when he gets home is he throws a party. And it's a party family. But if prodigal means exceedingly generous, it means lavishly, lavish, like Maybe you could call the father. He's got a little prodigal in him too, doesn't he? Exceedingly generous. Yeah, you can have half of my estate. Exce lavish. Seemingly wasteful. This son didn't deserve this. This son definitely did not earn this. But we're going to take the best robe, and we're going to give him the signet ring, and we're going to put sandals on his feet, and we're going to get the fatty cap. We've been saving that for a festival. Today is that festival, because what was lost is now found. The father is lavishing his love. You could even say he's wasting his love on one that is undeserving. The father could be the prodigal. And so this is why I call this the prodigal church. Are we willing to be, are we willing to be exceedingly generous to what God cares about? Will we be able even to waste love? To give it when it doesn't get returned? Will we be able to go first and pouring out love, and pouring out care, and pouring out prayer, and pouring out invitation, and pouring out generosity, would we be willing to even risk losing it? Because we could be a prodigal church, one that lavishes loving on people that are undeserving. Generous towards lost sons and daughters, generous towards the hurting, quick to embrace, quick to sacrifice. The prodigal church is quick to celebrate. Father says, bring him the best robe. Give him 
sandals on his feet. Give him that ring on his finger. When you think about the robe, I think about the Old Testament story, Joseph. Joseph had the amazing Technicolor dream coat, right? He had the coat of many colors. And what is signified is the favoritism, the favor of the father. You went from eating the pigs and wishing I was dead, and you come here, and the response of the father is, I'm going to show favor to you. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to get you out of those rags that smell like pigs and prostitutes. I'm giving you a new covering. To me, it speaks about dignity. Then when people come in contact with us, do we see them as just like broken people? Or do we see them as sons and daughters that belong to God? Do we see them as people that just need the care of heaven in their life? Do we see them the way that the Father sees them? If we start seeing the way that God sees them, then we could be that prodigal church. Willing to risk, willing to pour out, willing to sacrifice, willing to give generously so God can get what God wants. Lost sons and daughters returning home. Can we give people back dignity? Why? They're made in the image of God just like you and me. What does he do next? He restores his identity. He says, you're not barefoot anymore. Slaves were barefoot in the Bible. Sons had sandals. Uh, You walked back here wanting to be a servant or a slave. When you step into my house, you're a son. You belong here. Let's put some sandals on your feet. Like, at least let's give the guy some Crocs. Let's get him in the house. And then he gives him dignity, identity as sonship. He gives him a ring. A ring is a sign of authority. He gets to conduct family business. He's not just in the house. He's a part of the family. This was a signet ring that you would seal, this wax seal on a contract. In other words, he could speak on behalf of the family. So he doesn't come in as a servant. He gets restored back to him what would have been his if he never would have rebelled. In the prodigal church, what do we do? We, we embrace the lost. We get them back in the house, not as servants, but sons and daughters. They don't have to earn their place here. They get it. Why? That's what we all got one day, didn't we? I've been, I was talking with a guy, uh, uh, one of my son's friends. His brother was baptized. I got invited to the party, and I was just talking to this guy about um, his life story, and, and he, he, he'd known us as part of a church. He lives kind of distance from here. We were just talking about, like, who went first in your family? Like, who was the first believer? Some of you first-generation believers. It's amazing. Someone had to go first. But for us that maybe didn't go first, I'm a, I'm a third-generation pastor. Both of my brothers are also pastors. Older brothers, I'm going to tell you. Um, it's a, you know, I, I always joke it's a, it's a genetic disorder in the Turner household. And I, I was born, like, with this around. Now, if you would have asked me when I was 16, 17, 19, 20, if I'd ever do this with life, the answer would have been probably an explicit and then a no. Uh, but that God touched my heart. I was a rebellious kid that God brought back home. And, but sometimes when we grow up in it, we don't maybe celebrate it like we should. And this is why I feel like as we're turning 13 a couple weeks ago, and as we're heading into a new season and chapter for us as a church, just to kind of come back to what does it mean to be a prodigal church? What does it mean to go first? What does it mean to add dignity back to people? What does it mean to, to, to add a, a identity back to people? What does it mean to be a part of giving people back their authority and who they really are in Christ and who they're really called to be, to bring back not people as slaves and servants, but as sons and daughters? And so... We've all received this, whether we're first, third, fourth, or fifth generation, and we just need to have a healthy reminder that when we're a part of a mission that's bigger than ourselves, is when we really begin to live. 
And God really wants you to live, not just for the stuff of this world. Hey, and you can have that too. That's what it says when we seek the kingdom first. Everything that you really need will be added unto you. And God takes great care of his kids. There is promotion and there is provision and there is a breakthrough and there is blessing for you. I believe it and declare it over your life in Jesus' name. But that is not what we live for. That's what we receive from God as we live for what's on his heart for the world around us. Church, this is what we've received from our Heavenly Father. Whether we grew up in church or not, we were lost without help until they came hunting for us, until grace tracked us down, until like that lost coin, God was sweeping up the things and finding us and restoring us and then embracing us even in our mess and in our mistakes and bringing us back into this family. That's what the Bible says in 1 John 3, verse 1. How great is the love of the Father. How great this Father's love. But he's, he's lavished on us. There's that word again. He prodigaled on us. That we, who are we? That we should be called the children of God. Can we be a church that loves lavishly? That gives sacrificially, gives generously. The posture of a prodigal church is one that is what? It's ready and engaging. The father was ready, 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 ready for that moment. And as soon as he saw the son, as soon as the son started to take steps home, he didn't wait for him to clean up his act. He engaged him right where he was at. This is why like, I get the privilege and the honor with Liz like, to lead this church and to preach on this platform. And I didn't build this, God built this. And our faithful church families built this over 13 years. And I can preach as loud and, as, and, 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 and even as anointed as possible, but I'm not in your circle and I'm not in your world. You are. And this is why you've got to consider yourself. I need to be that pro, prodigal father or mother, willing to lavishly love and find that dignity in people and restore that, that, that identity in people. Tell them who they really are in Christ, not what they feel like right now or not the mistakes that they've made. This is why we pour it out first. And we've been willing to waste it because it's worth the risk. Ready and engaging. I also love a church, our church. We are running and embracing. We run. I'm running a half marathon um, next Saturday. Not the, yeah, two Saturdays for now. Um, I actually thought it was next Saturday, and I went out and ran yesterday, and I was like, this is going to be a miserable moment in my life. But I got one more week in the grace of God. And these 41-year-old knees are going to get it done. So I'm not trying to flex. It's half marathon. It's a half flex. Okay. Um, but the first few moments of running, come on, it's miserable. As it gets darker out and you got to run early in the morning, it's like, oh, man. This is a horrible decision. Like those first few steps even, you're like, what is wrong with me? What am I running from, you know? But once you get through it, oh, it starts to feel good. And you hate it maybe every moment, but the moment you're done, you're like, man, I'm so glad I did that. I never had once a regret, like I really regret running. I really regret eating healthy. I really regret working out. In the moment, it's a sacrifice, but at the end of that season, you're like, you celebrate it. It's awesome. We've got to be a church that's ready to do the uncomfortable things first, knowing that in the end it will be worth it. And then what do we do as a church's posture, as a prodigal church, lavishly loving the people around us? We're there for restoring and redeeming. It's not enough just for them to know about it. They have to receive their sonship, their daughtership. They get their place back in the family that they were always destined to be in. And so this is why I want to encourage you to be a part of a mission that's bigger than you. We've got next steps. We're kicking it back off today. Today, we're going to talk about belonging. What does it mean to belong here? 
What does it mean to be connected to something? For some of you, I'm just your preacher, but until you really belong, that's when I get the privilege and the honor to be your pastor. And if I get that privilege and honor your pastor, I promise you this, I will make it extremely uncomfortable for you to stay satisfied in your current situation. That there is more of God for your marriage, there's more for God for your family, there's more God for your future, and there's more of the mission of God working through your life. But what about the sin problem? Isn't that what the Pharisees first brought up, this, this accusation against Jesus? That's what started all these stories in the first place. First, listen, God hates sin. Why? Because it pushes his kids away from his presence. He hated it so much that he gave his most precious possession so that he could pay for it in full. So why God hates sin is because it hurts his kids. And by the way, you've heard the statement, we don't hate the sinner, we hate the sin. Sin is not against you, it's against God. It is not about, it's not about this, and I know people can sin against you and that hurts, and that's a whole other sermon on reconciliation. But I would just say this, like, we're just here to love, to encourage, and we do it with the truth. The truth starts with all of us that sin and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody needs the Savior. But sin is a problem to God because it takes away their dignity, and it gets them out of their identity. And it strips them of their God-given authority as a part of God. And so when we get embraced, we change. The son thought he had to come back and do right just to get a meal, just to be back in the house. But no, God embraced him just like he embraces us. That's the redemption part two. How about part three of the story? Meanwhile, the older son. The older son was in the field and, and he came near the house. He could hear the music and the dancing. Uh, and so he called one of his servants and asked, hey, what is going on? The, and the servant replied, hey, your brother, your long lost brother, he's come back, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because uh, he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Okay, we can vilify the older brother all day long, but hey, if you have a black sheep in your family or you are the black sheep in your family, you understand some of this tension. Right? Come on. Like, definitely the older brother is the Pharisee. We all know that. That's what Jesus is getting at here. But there's a little bit of that in all of us. Come on, when someone does your family so wrong, come on, how many know it's personal? When it's broken bonds and broken trust and there's blood relation, that, that's personal. And so I'm not vilifying here. Well, all I want to do is I think what Jesus was trying to do was maybe illuminate in us where we've got some older brother problems, some older brother baggage. So the father, the Bible says the father, Jesus in the story, father went out and pleaded with the older brother. I mean, the, the same father that runs down the hill to embrace the loss is also the father that goes to the older brother, to the Pharisee and says, no, 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 this is not right. Let, let me show you my heart. Let me show you the way we operate in this home. So the older brother stayed home, but he did not have the heart of the father. He was always in the house, but he missed the heart of the father. We see that in the text. He answered the father. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Interesting that both kids thought they had to slave for the father. Thought they had to serve to be right with the father. I never disobeyed your orders. And you never gave me even one goat. And he gets the fatted calf. I'm the youngest in my family. And I, I got a lot, I just had a better life than my older siblings. 
Let me tell you, I was like an only child, five years younger than my sister. My brother's a lot older than me. It was good times at Christmas, let me tell you. My family, we didn't always have a lot, but what we had was my portion. Amen. You gave him a, a, you wouldn't even let me celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, how many husbands and wives understand that statement? Like, that son of yours, like, this is both of our children's here. <laughs> that daughter of yours, yeah. But that son of yours comes back, you killed a fat calf? Father, this doesn't seem fair. Father, this doesn't seem right. I love the response of the father. My son. My, my son. Just as much as he's my son, you're my son. You're always with me. Listen here. And everything I have is yours. Maybe some of you still think you've got to earn things from God. You're still working hard as a servant or as a slave. Oh, definitely the highest moniker, name, title in the kingdom is servant. Because that's the one Jesus put on himself. I did not come to serve but to be, I did not come to be served but to serve. Pour out my life as a reigns for many. He's the servant leader. But hey, you didn't have to serve to have this. I was here all the time. Maybe some of you that have been in the house a while, you need to get a different perspective of your father and start asking for more. Start believing, contending for the more that he has already for you. Everything I have is already yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours, you see how he turns it on him? It's not the son of yours. This is your brother. This is your sister. This is your coworker. This is your family member. This is your boss. This is your employee. This is your classmate. This is your neighbor. This is your circle. This is your responsibility. Was once dead and is alive again. He's lost and he's found. One thing I want you to see in both situations, both sons here were lost. And they both thought of themselves as slaves. One says, I am unworthy because of my sin. The other one says, I am self-righteous. And I've got it all figured out. Oh, I pray that heart out of our church and out of your life. There's a little big brother in all of us. I called it the older brother attitude. Guys, none of us deserve this. None of us are worthy. Yes, right living leads to blessing and fulfillment. Integrity matters. Righteousness matters, but that is a gift that we receive that we live from, not something we slave and serve for. And if there's a little older brother attitude in us, I pray that it gets out today. The younger son left home, but the older son was never really home to begin with. He didn't have the heartbeat of the father. We have to embrace this prodigal church, prodigal father heartbeat. Generous and lavish. Generous in time, in talent, in resource, in finances. Generous in love. Willing to pour it out even if it is wasted. We pour it out because ultimately we're not doing it for us. We're doing it for the Father. Let's look back at verse 20 real quick. I want you to get this. While he was still a long way off, the Father saw him, filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him, and then the son said to the Father, Oh, wait, wait, wait. There wasn't an apology before the embrace? There wasn't an explanation before the embrace? There, wasn't, there, was a, there was a kiss before the confession? This is the posture of the church. 
because this is the posture of our God. He doesn't even hear the I'm sorry. I've sinned against heaven and against you. He definitely doesn't hear the rest of the story. He gets the servants involved in the house. He gets the church involved in the house. He gets the people that serve the Father in the house to come and restore and bring that dignity, bring that identity, bring that authority back to the lost. But he gives the kiss before the confession. This is what God does for us. And I understand to live lavish and generous to live that prodigal church, the heart of the Father, it's messy. It's messy. Why? Because people are messy. Ministry is messy. And I'm not the minister here. My job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You're the minister here. Your circle, your world, your responsibility, your family. Lost sons and daughters around you. And I don't say that to, 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 to speak to you like you've got to get it done. I'm just saying I pray that you would embrace the heartbeat of heaven that we see in these stories. Something of value is gone. God wants it back. And we are willing to embrace prodigal, messy, pour it out, lavish, extravagant in what we do. Even if it's wasted. It wasn't about, it wasn't ours in the first place. It's about what the Father desires for his sons and daughters. And we're called to minister to a messy world. And it's going to get messy. This church was perfect, and then you came. Gosh. This was perfect, and then I started it. And like, it's going to be messy. But God knows how to clean up the mess. He's looking for some servants to come and add value to sons and daughters that know their place in the family, that aren't just in the house, not just in the home, that carry the heartbeat of the Father. This is what it says in Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love. God goes first. He went first. He showed us what it looks like. And this is what he did. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And an older brother attitude is not going to stop the celebration. The celebration is going to go on whether the older brother gets in or not. It just stops the big brother from enjoying what the father enjoys. And that older brother attitude, if it lives in you, is not stopping the party. It's not stopping the movement of the kingdom of God. It's not stopping the search and rescue mission. It is not stopping the lost from coming home. It's just stopping from you getting to celebrate what God celebrates. And also, listen, and the most significant thing in your life, because we cannot take all of our stuff with us, but people last forever. And that is what we contend for in this family. Prodigal church, let us not lose our way. Let's be willing to risk it extravagantly, generously, all in, willing to pour it out. Why? We got kissed and embraced before our confession, before our change, before we were reestablished. So where are you on the story? Where are you on all these stories? Are you lost sheep? You didn't mean to get lost. You just did life. You're lost coin. You got mishandled, misplaced. Maybe you never knew your value to God. He's searching for you by the Holy Spirit even right now. Maybe you're a lost son. Maybe the other lost son. Maybe you went and did your own thing. You shook your fist at God. It's like, I'm going to handle it my own way. He gives you the freedom to do that. But it doesn't stop the Father's heart from coming after you. Even when you're a long way off, he's right there, ready to embrace, ready to receive, ready to restore. Maybe the older brother. And you think you've got to earn this thing and work for this thing. And you're missing heart of the Father. 1 John 4, verse 9 and 10. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. That's where we find life. 
This is love. You wanna know what love is? This is love. A love that goes first. A love that sacrifices. A love that surrenders. A love that pours out lavishly and generously. This is love. Not that we love God. Not that we earned it. Not that we served our way up to get a seat at the table. No, he invited us in, that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loves lost people. God loves you. He loves you so much that when you are found, you get to be a part of the family business. We get that signet ring, which means we're gonna be a part of what God wants to be a part of. At this church, we're gonna be a prodigal church. We're willing to risk it first, generously, sacrificially, all in. On November 12th, we have a Vision Sunday about where we are going in this next year. Not only for us here in Kansas City, but we're gonna do some things around the world that honestly is the most exciting things we've ever been a part of. And I just wanna prepare your heart to be a part of this solution. And you don't have to be. You get that free will choice just like the younger son. And you can stay on the outside and judge what the father's doing on the inside. But I would pray more than anything that God would melt away the superiority of the older son and the inferiority of the younger son. And we would all find our place in the house, embraced by the father, receiving our dignity, identity, and authority back that friends, if you're not a part of a mission that's bigger than you, you were made for something of eternal significance. Get in on what God's heart is in on and you will see what's on your heart. God goes to work, God begins to do, God begins to restore and God begins to redeem. Would you stand to your feet? I wanna pray for you. Two groups I wanna pray for first and foremost. You're an older brother, older sister and you need to get that callous heart reconnected with the heartbeat of heaven. Right, I'll just pray over all of us, those online at Lansing, everyone in the room. God, I thank you. I thank you that the story that Jesus tells us is changing our story. That if we've been one thinking we had to earn this, that you would remind us this is all a gift of his grace, that he went first, loved us first, generously, sacrificially, all in to save us. He poured it out, a prodigal God, a prodigal father, went first. So Lord, let us never think we've achieved this. Let us never think that we deserve this. Let us think that we've received this as the gift of God's grace, that Jesus went first because God wanted us. In the same way, let us carry that same spirit. And we're not here to condemn. We're here to love and we're here to pour out. We're here to risk it, even if it gets wasted. It's never wasted when we're living for you. But I think you would reignite and re-engage those that want to win souls and influence the loss and change the world. Lost family members, struggling moms and dads, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, we call them back home in the name of Jesus. Let's stay in this moment of prayer. Maybe you're the sheep that wandered off, didn't know it, but you just did. Life happened. Maybe you were misplaced, mishandled, maybe even marginalized and you're like a drop coin. And the Holy Spirit's coming after you right now to know your worth, your value, to be restored back to the part God's called you to be in, be in the family. And maybe you're like the lost son, the younger son, that you willfully and knowingly said, I, I don't need this. I got this. I'm going to do things my own way, Father. And you've seen the emptiness after the excess of your own decisions, and you want to turn back to God. The Father's right there. The Father's right there. He will embrace, He will kiss, 
He will redeem. He will restore. Before you can even get a word out, just a turn of direction. You know, that's what repent means. It means a change of direction. And as soon as you turn around, he's right there to embrace you. If you're here and you need to receive that embrace, you need to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're like a, you didn't even know you were lost. And now you know, I need the grace of God. I need to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you've even been in church, but you can say, I, I'm not really following Jesus. He's not first in my life. Today's the day of a turnaround. Today's the day where lost will become found and the dead will come alive again. Or maybe you used to. You used to be close. You might even be in the house. might even be in the church. But your heart is not connected to the heartbeat of the Father. It's not connected to God's heart. If any of those are you, it's time to come back home. It's time to receive that dignity. It's time to receive that, that authority, that identity again. With no one looking around, we're going to pray one prayer as one family of faith. It's just between you and God. But the only, the only turnaround I'm asking for is that you would have one little moment of surrender and humility, just a moment of asking you raise your hand. And I only do that because I just like that one effort, one moment where you say, I'm receiving this gift. I'm saying yes to Jesus. I'm coming back home again, or for the first time, I'm surrendering my life to Him. If that is you, and don't look around, and you're ready to come back home, or for the first time, say welcome home to the love of God. Can you just lift your hand in this place so I can count you? I see one hand up already. There's two of you. There's three of you. Four of you. Anyone else says, today's my day of coming back home. It's very bright up here, and I cannot see you. I see you in the very, very back. I'm proud of you. Maybe that's you online. Maybe that's you at Lansing right now. Today's the day of salvation. You put your hands down. Let's pray this prayer. Come on, this is the celebration moment. It's already getting completed at the cross. We're just receiving our place at the table as a son and daughter. Can we all say this together? Support our friends and family. They might be praying this for the very first time. Very special moment. Say this with me. Say, thank you, God, for not giving up on me. You're that father that was looking for me, praying for me, coming after me wanting to embrace me, to receive me, just as I am. You love me so much. You sent Jesus to take my place. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose again in victory. Now I can have victory. God, I'm in your family. I turn, no longer going my own way. I'm in your house. I'm at your table. I am redeemed. I am saved. I am set free, all because of Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. Church, can we celebrate and lift up some praise? Awesome. I love you very much.